Hello, everyone, and welcome to our Best Books of 2020 podcast. And once again, I'm delighted to be joined by Vicky Riley. Hello, Vicky. Hello. Lovely <laughs> to see you. And I can't believe it's you been as well. I can't believe it's been 12 months since we last did this in your I flat. I know. I think um, that was the last time I saw you. Yeah, it probably was. And a, yeah, a different time. <laughs> a different era. <laughs> Still that way. But there's That's... still been a lot of great books um, put out uh, this year. In fact, it's been a brilliant year for books, Scottish books, I think. I, I No, I agree with you. I think it's been a, a, a totally vintage year this year. So so even though there has been a lot of misery and uh, a lot of uh, depression, there was a there, there was an element of me that was that was kind of like oh but oh but oh but that as well. So you know, thank God we had something to temper all the <laughs> all the misery. Well, I think that's right. I think this if uh, lockdown has proven anything or COVID uh, is that how much we really need not just books, but all the arts to kind of help us get through their kind of more difficult times. And that's really been yeah. proven. Oh, yeah, totally. I think I might have, yeah, without music and books this year. Well, I mean, what do people do if they're not interested in music and books? I, ju- I, just, I just can't, I can't even imagine. <laughs> so how we're going to do this is that we're each going to um, take it in turns to look through 10 of our best books uh, from the year. There might not be the 10, because there might be some crossover, which we'll come to when we talk about things, which we have discussed beforehand. So there are 20 books being discussed. But, no, um, we're, we're going to cheat, though. We're going to cheat, just to warn you. We're going to talk about loads more. <laughs> yeah, there will be loads more, absolutely. 20 is just a rough guide to what we're going to eventually talk about. Um, so this could take some time, folks. If you want to um, split it into two, that'll be fine. But, like, Vicky, let's start with your first choice um, of book. Okay, right. So my first choice of book, and we probably should just get this out the way. I'm going to go for this one. One, two, three, four, which is by Craig Brown, and it's about the Beatles. And um, the reason why I picked that is because, well, this has been a bit of a beatle year for me. It and, has. <laughs> And to, and to be honest, most of my reading for, like, in the first half of the year has been Beatle books, mm-hmm. um, because... The reason well, for which is... The reason for which is this delightful thing. Together. <laughs> which is a book that I wrote, <laughs> bizarrely, <laughs> crazily, mentally. The Beatles 101. Yeah, last year I decided to write a wee book for, for about the Beatles, Um and so that was that was kind of like my first lockdown project. I, I wrote it um, between sort of October last year till about May this year. So I was kind of in a sort of semi-lockdown anyway, because in the evenings and in the weekends before March, that's what I was doing, was just reading and writing about the Beatles. And the... But, Let's not talk about mine because that's a bit self-indulgent. But so back to Craig Brown. <laughs> if, if people were to buy any other Beatles book apart from <laughs> Beatles 101, yes. you would recommend this one. In fact, I, I saved I, I knew it was coming out sort of fairly early on in the year and um I pre-ordered it, but I 
I um, I saved it. I, I didn't. I made I made a promise to myself that I wasn't going to read it until I had finished mine. So I didn't read it when it first came out. I, I read it sort of in the summertime, and because um, I, I I don't know why I had this thought in my head that uh, if I read it before I'd finished mine, then I, I would abandon my book completely. <laughs> and um, but I didn't. So, but it's great. Like it's it's just won the, the Bailey Gifford Prize for nonfiction as well, which is really quite interesting for a uh, a book about popular culture to win such a prestigious non-fiction prize yeah um, which i think is a good sign that maybe people are taking books that are written about popular culture which is really it's social history um a little bit more seriously now the craig brown one it's written in very short chapters yeah quite like mine actually in fact, I was quite happy when I did read it. I was like, "Oh, right, okay, I did get this right." Because you know, you, you you sort of think, "I've maybe I've, there's loads of things that I've just forgotten about the Beatles." Oh my god! And um, and so when I read this one, I was like, "No, this is, he's talking about a lot of the same things that I cover." But he also because his book is bigger and because it's he 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 he's not really contextualizing the Beatles in their career in the way that I am, he's contextualising the Beatles in the time that they're in. So it's so it's mostly, so it's about the 60s as well as the Beatles. And it's about, it's about being a fan um, as, as well as being about the Beatles. And it's about all the different kinds of people that have flitted in and out of the Beatles story as well as the Beatles. So it's a little bit different from mine. That mine's is very sort of just sticks to the band really, but um, his his sort of has tentacles that that go out everywhere. Um, It's a book though, I have to say, that has split Beatles fans. Oh, really? Yeah, yeah. A A lot of Beatles fans are not fans of this book. Is there a spoof aspect to it? Well, I mean, he he is a private eye writer, so there's kind of there's a little bit of satire in it, and I wonder if that's that's um, maybe what the issue is with 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 some of the, the the writers. He puts himself in the story a little bit, which I I didn't mind. I don't mind that at all. So as well as talking about the Beatles phenomenon, he talks about the Beatles' impact on the world and culture. So there's chapters strewn throughout it where he goes to Liverpool and he visits the the sort of the National Trust um, houses of John's and Paul's that are are now run by um, the National Trust and 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 so he, he can be a little bit snide about that because and because you know he's kind of he, he kind of sort of has, has a wee dig at the sort of computer says no mentality of the rules and regulations that you've got to follow when you're when you're there and visit them and and just um, which you know, maybe people would see that as ungenerous, but at the same time, I think it's I think it's a valid point to make that that um, is such a computer says no kind of provincial hate that word, but I'll use it anyway. Um, way to celebrate the Beatles, an actual tribute to them because the Beatles themselves were not computer says no. They were exp- they explored, they were curious, they were international, and so so I wonder if maybe he was trying to hint at hint at that rather than just sort of pointing and laughing at the provincials. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, so there, there's an he's not very he's not very 
nice about Yoko either. I don't think he res- really respects her as an artist. Um, I mean, I do. I really like Yoko. I'm a big Yoko fan. I, I don't think he's a big fan of John as well. And, you know, he is a ve- he's probably, out of all the Beatles, he is the most flawed human being out of them. So, like, again, I know that folk have issues with him. I don't mind people criticising the Beatles. I think the Beatles are strong enough and big enough and uh, to, to take it. <laughs> so, and, and if they do it with wit and if they do it with, or, or something, then it makes me laugh. So um, I didn't mind so much the snark. Um, our first, we're only in the first book and already I'm going to take a little detour. I know, sorry. But, no, no, no. But you know, what I'm going to say is I was supposed to be chairing Craig. Of course, yeah. I went, um, and unfortunately, didn't get to do that because um, of COVID and everything that came around it. And uh, that, of course, I write was just beginning, literally just beginning when the world kind of stopped, or at least the UK <laughs> stopped. In fact, I've got it here. The only one of the few people that was there was Ian Maloney doing his the only guy gen in the village. He came over, bless him, all the way from uh, Japan to do a whole load of tours and and and. Uh, looking at the book uh, and he managed to do an I Write event. He'll be... He was the only one. He was one of the few people on the first night who did an I Write event. And then I think it was closed down the next day. And uh, it is a regret of mine not to have uh, chaired Craig um, because I do like his writing. I think it would have been uh, fascinating. Yeah, I mean... I mean, I could, sorry, I could bang on about this book and the Beatles forever and ever and ever. And I know we've only only got a wee bit of time, but... um, but I, I like the fact that he plays with the history as well. He does sort of sliding door moments. And he sometimes plays a little bit with the facts to make the narrative a little bit better. But, you know, I again, the Beatles did that too. The myth and the story and the narrative of the Beatles is such an elastic thing. And a lot again, of music fans don't like that. A lot of music fans want to know the absolute facts and, you yeah. know, names and the numbers of their albums and all that stuff. They don't want, uh, you know, flights of fantasy, unfortunately, because yeah. that's what musicians tend to do. Yeah, yeah. Um, well, I, I like both. I, I can, though I'm not, I mean, I'm not very good at remembering the facts. That's why I, <laughs> that's, I'm terrible with names and dates and things like that. But I do like, I do like knowing everything and um, uh, but I do like people that play with with the, the Beatles story and the, and the Beatles mythology as well. I, I I'm not I I, I I like any kind of exploration of what the Beatles might mean to culture. <clears throat> um, I should say before we go into my first book that um, in case people are going, Craig Brown's not Scottish. <laughs> what we've done, what we've it's done not that Craig Brown. It's a different Craig Brown. Craig Brown. Yeah, it's not. It's not uh, your manager, your Craig. Um, the way we're doing it is my 10 are Scottish, but Vicky is picking the 10 books that she liked best in the year, which is absolutely the right way to do these things rather than kind of try and push things into categories. Talking of which, this book actually came out in 2019, so I don't know why it's... No, I do know why it's going to be... You're being elastic with the truth too. (laughs) Stuart Ennis's blessed uh, assurance. And it's... um, we, we didn't talk about it last year, even though it came out at the very end uh, of last year. Uh, it's a fabulous read. It's a novel. It's um, set in the village of Kilhaw, which is a kind of, yeah, which is a kind of um, fictional village. And uh, it's 
it's, it kind of goes into that tradition of a supernatural, supernatural or psychological and the negative effects of religious fundamentalism, which, you know, we know so well in this country. Um, I, it's, it's Stuart's use of Scots in the book, which really kind of captures me. It's, you know, in the first few pages, he talks about blether and bahookie and, you know, all these fantastic words, which really set the place. And uh, he's got a great way with um, characters. There's a, there's a preacher called uh, Benjamin Much, who yeah. Joseph, the central character, kind of starts to base himself on, almost like a mini-me. He gets the tweeds and the tie and all this kind of stuff. And um, uh, his gran is kind of a fundamentalist grandmother who kind of has <laughs> twisted his brain. That's a good band name. <laughs> fundamentalist grandmother, absolutely. I, it's... I just loved it. I loved it as a book. It took me back to my own childhood, which wasn't really similar, but there were aspects of it that were similar. And that idea about kids going out to play and the dangers that are out there if you're not careful. Um, and just the the joys, but also the fears of growing up, which is kind of what it's about. Um, yeah. It's a fantastic read, fantastic read. Yeah, I've only read, a t- I've, I think I've read up to the bit where he sees the preacher for the first time and, and he has like this sort of thunderous effect on him. And uh, um, and it is a book that I've been meaning to 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 get to and read uh, um, this year. I've not managed it. As I say, like things that were released late last year or early this year, I'm just getting around to now because of my whole Beetle adventure. Um, but yeah, from what I read, I, it was it was... It just it was sort of reminded me of like New Year stories and like just gathering round and I can imagine you know it's just one of those things you can just imagine that the stories that are told in this book become legend and the stories yeah and there's a lot about friendship and family and uh, and a he believes that everyone's a sinner and he wants to be saved and he feels that he's not going to be saved and uh, yeah the kind of effects that religion can have on a really kind of vivid uh, a young imagination. Um, it certainly affects uh, Joseph. Uh, it's a yeah, terrific read. I can recommend, highly recommend it to anyone um, who ever grew up in Scotland with a little <laughs> bit of religion kicking around, because I'm sure it did uh, affect us all in some way. And I, to me, I can say it was out. It was published by Vagabond Voices. Yeah. Who are and to me, don't you think it would make a really good like Sunday night TV show or something like that? Like yeah, really absolutely, it could do. Uh, a BBC One, a nine o'clock drama, yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Okay, what's your second book, Vicky? Um, Well, if we're going to keep on with um, Scottish debuts, um, I am going to pick, obviously, uh, Shuggy Bane by Douglas Stewart, which I can't show in a showbiz styly. Well, I can show in a showbiz styly. Okay, you do that. See, there you go. Lovely Shuggy Bane. Um, because uh, I, I lent it to my friend when lockdown eased a little bit, so <laughs> so I hope I got it back. Anyway, <laughs> but um, I think if I had to pick my favourite book of the year, that would be the one that I picked. Um, it was uh, it it just I just loved it. It's and and I loved it in a way that isn't literary, if you know what I mean. I just, I had an emotional, it was like a, just an emotional response to the characters in the story. I think that's really interesting because I, it's not my favourite Scottish book of the year. It's a fantastic book and I did enjoy it. But 
But I think you're right. It's uh, the emotional response to the characters that really get it. Yeah. I mean, I think you could, if you were being that way, you know, kind of dig mean, holes really into some right. of the, you know, the, the parts and pieces in it. But um, I don't think you, why it seems cruel to do that when it's so heartfelt and so honest and a... Yeah, I, I, th I think you're right. Particularly the mum, Agnes, is just oh. a character that will stick with me yeah. for I mean, a long, 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 long time. Yeah, I mean, it is. I think it is really well written. I think it absolutely deserves its um, Booker Prize win. Um, I can't believe it's a, it's a debut because as soon as I started reading it, I felt the voice was so confident and so... And so assured, and there was a there was a calmness to the relation of the tale as well that I like. It just didn't read to me like a debut. Where sometimes in a debut you might get like a little hint of self consciousness in the writing, or you know maybe like a sentence or like you know people get a little bit overwrought in their in their metaphors and lyrical aspects and all that kind of thing. But there was just such a, a cool calmness to the way he wrote. And yet, as, as I say, it just rung you through the, the you, you were put through the ringer emotionally. Because, um, I mean, Agnes, she, uh, what an amazing character. And what she signifies as well as somebody who, she doesn't even have, like, it's not as if she has, like, big dreams, big, like, on, um, like, uh, just, like dreams that are are, are impossible yeah. you know she just she just wants a, a good life and some excitement and real meaningful love and and you know that's not like wanting to be a gazillionaire that's not like wanting to be a superstar these are like these are these are desires with people that are that are actually pretty ordinary yeah and, absolutely and yet because of of her life and the circumstances that she finds herself in, it's impossible for her to find. And because it's impossible for her to find, the same thing is true for our for our children, like um, Leek and Shuggy and oh, I, f I forgot the daughter's name. Um, I mean Leek as well. He's yeah. he's he's kind of like a supporting character because it, it's it's really the story between Agnes and Shuggy. Um, Agnes is the mum. Shuggy is the young son who. Um, idolizes her and looks after her and cares for her but is also unsure of the adult world completely and no wonder with the adult world that he has around him but Leek as well like he has skill he has talent he has he has this 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 um he has like these artistic leanings and he just doesn't pursue them because there's no way he can and that's the, the sadness of it is it's an incredibly um, sad book for a lot of it. Um, a very difficult read in, in, in places. I have to say, it took me a little while to kind of get into it. And I think that was because um, I, there was something about the voice I didn't, you know, click into straight away. And it was only once I really started investing in the characters that, like you, kind of fell in love with them. And by the end, was completely hooked. But I think what you said right at the beginning... It's an emotional response rather than a literary one. And I think that's very interesting that it won the Booker a literary prize because it, there's something in that, the strength of that, which um, a lot of people just, you know, no matter how skilled a writer they are, they could never get that sort of reaction. No, that, that is probably, that's a skill in itself of writing that, that, you know, is not easy to do. A lot of commercial fiction writers have it. 
Um, and that's why, you know, a lot of commercial books um, go on to like sell millions and billions and trillions. <laughs> but um, it's, a, it's it, and it's definitely a skill that's undervalued because the writing feels effortless. It doesn't feel written, if you know what I mean. I wonder if that's, um, come, you know, it's a de- you say it's his debut novel. And I wonder if that's part of it. It's that, you know, the, the kind of rules or the whatever that other people once, you know, have written a few times or maybe the, the, the themes that they fall into. He hasn't got any of that because mm. there is a kind of freshness to it that uh, is really very, very rare, I think, in any yeah. book. Yeah, I'm so interested to, to read what he does next. Really, yeah. really interested. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, my next one is A.J. Close, What We Did in the Dark. And um, it's now talking of a literary writer. I know. uh, It's just uh, uh, astonishing. Um, The the way she kind of gets emotion into individual sentences and things like that um, is quite incredible. Uh, This jumps along about time. It's a romance between an artist and a young woman. um, And he goes to war and it's like, what? war does to him, post-traumatic stress, and just this, it's heartbreaking, and another heartbreaking book, but there's a real kind of love story at the very beginning, and it's almost the reverse, it's how it falls apart over time, and how he mistreats this um, young woman, it's um, based on Catherine Carswell, who wrote Burns' um, biography, um, which splits Burns' scholars, put it that way, but it's a... (laughs) This is about her and her life, and it's very much um, it's set in the early part of the 1900s, and um, she is a kind of woman out of time, ahead of time, very modern, very assured, or at least that's how it appears to other people, and uh, marrying this um, a man, and she puts all her hopes and dreams, and really fights for the, the relationship to work, even when she kind of knows in her heart that it's not going to work. Um, but for me, it's all about AJ's writing. I just think she's one of the one of the very best. Yeah, that's another book because it was released in the at the sort of in springtime yeah. that I've not quite got around to. Though I have, I read, I've read bits of the start of it, and I, I totally get what you mean about um, the 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 writing of the beginnings of a love affair. That that whole sort of noticing and and oh did that mean that and what did that look mean and all and just the way um that sort of all plays out and things like that and um so I'm really I'm really looking forward to going back to it and reading the whole thing. It kind of lifts your heart and, and she really writes beautifully about that kind of first uh Russia love and all these things and then you, you're beginning to see it just before uh, they are that things are just not happening anymore and there's reasons for it but uh yeah it's a fabulous read yeah that's um, what we did in the dark AJ it's Close. funny like it kind of oh sorry yeah. i totally i totally spoke over you there sandstone press it's by yeah. <laughs> um, no it kind of reminded me a little bit too of the muriel spark story yes um where you've got like a young you've got a young artistic curious a uh, woman who knows that you know her her options are limited if she wants to be able to to break free from the life that they've known the sort of domestic life that they've known before and they think that marriage is going to be the answer to this especially marriage to 
maybe somebody that's a little bit older and a little bit more exciting and then it just doesn't work out in the way yeah. that they that they thought so it'd be like knowing a little bit about Muriel Sparks life again that's why I'm looking forward to to and because I, I don't actually don't know that much about Catherine Carr as well I've never I've got the Robert Burns book but I've not read it and but I would like to read more of her stuff as well I think the Robert Burns book's very uh, worthwhile reading, definitely. Um, but I would read uh, AJ Closis thing first, definitely, before you did that. So, Vicky, your next one, what are we on to? What are we on to? What are we on to? Okay, let's go for some poetry. Yes. Which isn't like me, I have to say. Poetry is kind of a little bit of a blind spot to me. And I think... I think it's... I wonder if it's connected to the fact that I have a terrible memory. <laughs> because, you know, I, I can never remember titles of poems and so you just, they all get mixed up and so you don't know which one meant anything to you and all that kind of thing. But, so this year was the centenary year of Edwin Morgan, mm-hmm. um, uh, first Scottish macker. Um, and uh, so there was a lot of celebration all around Edwin Morgan this year. Um, and one of the celebrations was that Polygon brought out this this brilliantly cute and lovely box set of themed sort of mini collections of um, Edwin Morgan poems. So there, so in this little box, you've got you've got um, five books that are all on a theme. So there's Love, Take Heart, Space and Spaces, Menagerie, and Scotland. And so it um, so all sort of takes sort of um, well-known Morgan themes in his poetry and yeah. puts them in little collections. And they've all got brilliant introductions by other writers as well, which really sort of well, it makes you chomp at the bit to get onto the poems. So every introduction does its job so well. <laughs> Now, it's a sh- now, I think uh, the Morgan celebrations were one of these things that were really hit by world events uh, yeah. uh, because there was so much planned. Um, I did some work uh, on the Edwin Morgan 100 website and, you know, there was a lot of stuff that had to be moved online and some terrific stuff as well. But it, there's no doubt that, you know, what was planned with... Um, a conferences and things like that, you know, which had to be shelved, and that was such a shame. But I I, I'm looking forward to uh, reading that collection because I think it looks fantastic. It's it's just great because, and weirdly, even though it totally dented in his celebrations, I hope I hope that he gets those celebrations in some form, mm-hmm. and because he deserves it. Yeah. Those were like, as I say, I don't read a lot of poetry, but um, reading Edwin Morgan. And and I read it around about sort of April May time. They were exactly the poems that I needed to read at that time, and when, when we were all feeling a little bit sort of lonely or anxious or or just a little bit unsure about what was lying ahead for us all. And because his poetry is just, he seems like my kind of guy, does Edwin? I would I would I really would have liked to have known him. <laughs> Well, I always think of him as the kind of poet that people that don't like poetry like. That, yeah. and, and that's, you know, even folk uh, that would say, oh, I don't really like poetry, but they, normally they've got a favourite Edwin Morgan poem. And, yeah. Uh, at least one. And it might have been just something that they read at school, but it stuck with them. He's got that kind of power, definitely. Yeah, like his poems are... He strike. I mean, I don't know him. I, I, 
but he strikes me as somebody that likes people. Yes, absolutely. And so, uh, and so his poems are just, just shot through with such generosity about humanity and what we are, are you know, all our behaviour and all the things that sort of make us who we are and are strong. You, like, he, he's so lovely and passionate and but self-aware as well so like he knows the ridiculousness of the human emotions as well as as why we feel them we can feel them so strongly in particular moments like i just i just really really loved him and if and i think he is just absolutely the right poet to read if you are feeling a little bit um unsure oh yeah absolutely he's got stuff that can give you any um, kind of emotion that you're after and heighten any emotion that you have. Um, and then, of course, you've got his concrete poetry, which is just a bit nuts. Yeah, that's it. Like, that's the, that's the thing. Like, you have these poems which are so just hit you in the heart, and then you have these daft, playful poems which are just about sound, really. Yeah, that's that, that or the way that the, the poem looks on the page. Yeah. It, and you and it's so you just you just strikes me as somebody that that was just a lot of fun, even in his shyness, which you get from his poems. But you but somebody whose inner life yeah. was really fun. <laughs> um, my next book is Vicky Jarrett's um, Always North, and we did a podcast with Vicky when we could still do it face to face. Oh, oh really? Was, it was, absolutely. It's uh, well. Anyway, it starts out with you can see that kind of creature on the front. It's not quite a, a weird like polar bear, but it is. Um, there's, a, there's. It started. Vicky told us when she saw a picture of from this uh, book in the Ant in the Arctic or Antarctic, um, and they were doing a, a bit of surveying, and there was a picture of a polar bear kind of right up almost on top of the boat, and it was really arresting because this thing was. Suddenly, nature red and tooth and claw was right there. And that kind of sparked off the idea for this book. And it's uh, oil exploration uh, who are doing things they probably shouldn't be doing. And um, the world is beginning to slightly come apart at the edges. It's actually the perfect book before. Warning <laughs> yeah. shout. <laughs> Once it has kicked in. Uh, it, the word that I was looking for was environmental. It's environmental sci fi, basically. Um, <laughs> And, and all the warnings that could come with it, split into two parts. You get the scenes on the boat with the polar bear and the polar bear, it's almost like Jaws, really, <laughs> or, or Moby Dick, you know, that the, you don't know who's chasing who uh, at times. And then you've got this after, the before and after, and the after is um, real sci-fi where a, there are experiments going on we re-meet the polar bear in very unusual circumstances um but it's a warning about kind of corporate power uh, oil exploration the melting of the polar caps um what that's going to do a uh, it doesn't sound like a fun read but it really is a fun read um it's a it's funny and it's exciting it's a proper thriller um it's unlike anything else i read this year and um I think Vicky Jarrett is, again, is a, an excellent writer who we haven't heard enough of, uh, but it was great to have a novel from her again that uh, really captured a couple of moments. One, the environmental movement of kind of Greta and everyone, and then also just a, what can happen very quickly, how the world can change very, very quickly. And it's, but, you know. <laughs> 
Yeah. Always North, and that's published by Unsung Heroes, who I wasn't aware of, I have to say, but uh, yeah, it's excellent book. There's quite a wee, a strong wee contingent of um, Scottish sci-fi writers. I think it's like a genre that's got, it's really bubbling up for, for Scottish writers. Yeah, I would agree. I would agree. Um, a lot of them um, writing a short story, short fiction. Um, Ryan Vance has got a collection coming out, which is basically sci-fi. And um, yeah, absolutely. And I see some of Kirsty Logan's short fiction is, and you know, heading that way as well. Yeah, and what well, well, we've got our very own. In fact, I'm uh, going to talk about another one in just a minute. So it definitely is something that's going to be happening. So, <laughs> what's your next uh, fourth choice? If I... Well, for always North, kind of seems to me that um, books that are sort of speaking to the time that we're living in at the moment. So I'll speak about a non-fiction book that I read this year. Well, I say I read, I listened to, um, mm-hmm. I'm, like a lot. I, I read a lot of books on audiobook this year, just because. I don't know. I don't. I don't know. Being at your screen for a lot of time when you're working from home, and yeah. sometimes you know, after work, the last thing you wanted to do was really concentrate on on words on a page. So I, I listened to a lot of audiobooks this year, and one of them um, is called Humankind by Rutger Bregman. Right. Um, which came out probably around about the beginning of lockdown two. It was quite early on in the year and it was, it did get a lot of fuss at the beginning of lockdown because it was kind of getting touted as a book that'll get you through lockdown because the the premise of it is, is that the notion that human beings are um, at essence selfish is completely wrong. And really the truth of it is, is that human beings are inherently kind. And so this is a a non-fiction book by a sort of philosopher historian um, from the Netherlands and where he lays out arguments again the, uh, for the premise that we are all basically kind. And so it takes you through um, history, like, like really like prehistory, like how are you know, evolutionary history about how um, kindness actually helped evolution rather than survival, how how survival of the fittest wasn't really about every man for himself, but about how how communities were actually the the essence of how we evolved. And then it goes on to talk about, you know, famous psychological experiments and things, because obviously when you do talk about the human of human nature and its capability for evil the thing that comes up is the holocaust and you're just so you're just like well you know once we hit the 20th 20th century and, we, and the holocaust happened then how could you ever say that no we are a kind species and so a lot of the psychological experiments after the holocaust which became quite well known were yeah. sort of trying to prove that you know, that sort of whole just following orders thing was actually the real sense of human beings. So it talks about like the Stanford prison experiment. And it was also, you know, the other famous experiment, I can't remember the name of it, but the one with the electric shocks. Have you heard of that one? Yeah, vaguely, yeah. Yeah, it's where where they had it was it was ostensibly set to, meant to be a memory experiment, but it was actually to see how far folk would give an electric shock for. Anyway, he you know that the Simpsons, don't they? There's an episode of the Simpsons <laughs> give each other electric shocks, and they start doing it longer and longer. Yeah, I think that was basically like, shot, Bart. 
Um, but what he does is he interrogates the, the 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 folk that ran the experiment. It turns out that those experiments, the the people that ran them, there was a lot of false narrative about those experiments and about the people who took part and about the findings and the way that the people running the experiment pushed people to do certain things and all that kind of thing. So then it goes from there and then it goes to, which is the really interesting part about sort of experiments around the world and how we how society can be so it's about community policing it's about different ways of running education it's about universal basic income and and things like that and where it's worked and um and so it is really so even though its premise is to show that human beings are better than you think we are and it and it's about saying how we can create a world that encourages this and nurtures this rather than this rampant capitalism that we've got now which <laughs> which doesn't really um you know serve us very well and if if any year was to tell us that the way we're running the world is just not working then i think this year has been that year <laughs> and what's that called again can you remind us it's called humankind and it's by rutger bremen i can't remember who publishes it i'm sorry all right. Um, I'm just noticing we're about 45 minutes in and we're only on book four, so we might have to pick things up a little bit. The next one is probably the weirdest book I read uh, this year, and it's Martin McInnes's Gathering Evidence. And again, as I say, there's a touch sci-fi to it. There's very much a touch of end of the world to it. And there's even a kind of a question about what is causing certain illnesses. It's split into... <laughs> three or four parts, I can't quite remember. There's a really weird, almost short story that starts on itself, which is all about a kind of app on a phone, which everyone starts to download and become obsessed with and, you know, uh, kind of takes over the world, if you like. And then that stops. You never kind of think about that again. And it goes on to um, this group of scientists who are trying to find out why the last troops of bonobo chimpanzees are dying uh, in this unnamed country in Africa. Um, Shell Murray uh, takes a team there. And uh, while they're there, you start to think, well, who is being observed here? And they all start to take ill in different ways. Um, and it becomes really um, tense and claustrophobic. Um, and you, you really start worrying about what's happening with these people. And then that bit, while that's happening, her partner, Shell's partner, John, is back home and he's setting up home for when she comes back and they're going to live in a new place. And his idea that um, they, they'll have this happy family life. And then... Something happens to him and he gets kind of, there was someone knocks him on the head and when he wakes up, he's still in the house, but there's a kind of fungus growing around the place. And there's this man who comes in to check him out like he like he's a patient and a doctor, even though he's not in a hospital. And you, you really have to, it's one of these books you really have to work hard to kind of think what the hell's going on. And then eventually <laughs> just give over to it. And you think, oh, I don't know what's going on, but I'm enjoying it anyway. Um, it's really dark. It's really twisted. Um, it's really uh, worrying, I think, if you think this is, you know, there's not much of a, a sunny side to this, really. The final part is they are, I don't want to give anything away, but they are finally in a hospital. They are reunited, Shell and John. They're in a hospital and but their worries are not over. The other things are going to happen all through the way. You're kind of 
I'm trying to, if David Cronenberg uh, and a um, Alfred Hitchcock had got together, if you had a meld of those, a kind of who done it, who was it, but with all the kind of Cronenberg weirdness and you know exploding heads and illness <laughs> and all that stuff, that's what uh, really gathering evidence by uh, Martin McInnes is. Um, it's a it's a fantastic read. It's not an easy read, and what I mean by that, it's not a easy read in any way. You have to go back over bits to go. I'm not sure what happened there, and what I'm, but it's really worth sticking with. And uh, at the end, you feel well. You feel a sense of relief. <laughs> that things are bad, but they're not this bad. I think right. that's really what, what the book is. But I, I really, it's a great book. It's called Gathering Evidence by Martin McInnes, and it came out on Atlantic Books. No, he is. He is. The, I remember his first book, Infinite Ground, got a lot of attention too and it, it followed similar lines of sort of sci-fi weirdness dystopian yeah no he is somebody that I've been meaning to to get round to and I've just because there's just too many books Alistair there's many just books. Too many books. that's why we're here to hopefully suggest <laughs> some to people so what's your fifth choice I believe we're on number five Right, what will I go for? I'll talk about another non-Scottish book. Um, I'll go for this one, The Travellers by Regina Porter. And um, this was a book that I read in the summer. Uh, and it's really just, it's it's kind of, it's a book that, these kind of books are the ones that I just kind of, uh, they're just like manna to me, that sort of multi-generational, um, it's not a saga, but it, but it covers different generations of family and it covers social history and it just you know it's 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 just all the good stuff that I like um um about about um about reading so it's 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 two families one black family the um the Christies and a white family who are the Camphers who then go on to the Vincents and you start off in the 60s and it's Jim Crow and it's the civil rights movement and there's a, a main character called Agnes, who goes on a date with uh, a young man that she's she's that she really likes, and something terrible happens on that date. I won't I won't spoil it, but it changes the course of her life, and in changing the course of her life, she then goes on to marry somebody who she loves but doesn't love in the same way, um, and that's how her family and then this white family meet. Um, because their children marry. And so it takes you through the Vietnam War and it takes you all the way up to the present day and about, um, and it's just, it's about class, it's about family dynamics, it's about um, how neighbourhoods change and how societies change. And um, it's just, I really loved it. I just, it was just one of those really diverting summer reads that you just zip through and you love all the characters. Okay, so my fifth book is The Liar Dancers by Mandy Haggith. And this is partly not because it's a terrific book, which it is, but it's also the last part of a fantastic trilogy of books, the Stone Stories trilogy, um, following on from The Walrus Mutterer and The Amber Seeker. And it's historical fiction that goes back to the Iron Age and uh, it just brings it absolutely to life. All three books do. I would suggest going and getting all three of them because it's one of the best, most interesting trilogies um, I've read in a long, long time. Um, again, environmental uh, concerns, without a doubt. 
um, warnings from history, I would suggest. But also you get this fantastic character of uh, Rian, who we met in the first book as a young woman, um, kind of given away by her father into slavery in a kind of horrific sense, and working for this monstrous uh, woman who's a kind of whatever the Viking or the early Iron Age equivalent of a pirate was, but basically sailing around the seas. You've got other really memorable characters, like someone from a, the kind of Italian area who comes up and apparently was based on a real uh, person. Um, I want to say Pythias, I might have that name wrong, but a, a lot of it is based on um, historical fact, at least that, that Mandy had looked into. But it, uh, it, it's almost like, Game of Thrones, but without those pesky dragons. You know, <laughs> it's much uh, more believable than that, but there is a lot of music and worship and uh, uh, all that, and a lot of sex, a lot of dancing, you know. It's, a, it's like good stuff. <laughs> all the good stuff. Yeah, no, it really is all the good stuff. Um, and it just captures a time that I think we don't think of too often anymore. Totally. Make a great, uh, people, uh, TV companies were looking for, you know, something to follow on from Vikings and... Yeah, you know, maybe if you've had enough of Outlander, you could, <laughs> you could go on to that one. Yeah, no, it's, it's a great trilogy. So this one's The, the Liar Dancers, but it's part of the Stone Storage trilogy, and it's Mandy Haggith, and that is from the fantastic Saraban books, as we yes. know. Yes, no, I, I saw her doing an event earlier on this year, and she was brilliant and she totally made me want to, to read the trilogy. So it's definitely something that um, that I shall investigate later. Yeah, we did a podcast with Mandy as well and she was great, great company. Yeah, yeah, she's really good at speaking about her books. Um, what's my what's next, next one? Your next one. What is my next one? Oh, yes, right. So back to another debut. Um, and I'm, I'm going to pick that I've not quite finished this book, but it's I'm finding it so good that I want to mention it anyway. <laughs> so this again, this is a book that was released in the spring of this year. So I've just got round to it now. And it's called Lot and it's by Shola Van Reinhold. And um, it's I can't again, like Shuggy Bain. The, the voice, the narrative voice is so confident and so of itself that um, it's quite astounding that it's a debut novel. It's a book about identity. It's, so we follow a, a, a girl called um, Mathilde who is um, queer and black and she... Um, she she's trying to... She's always trying to recreate her identity because she's obviously had um she cut she hasn't she's had an upbringing which it doesn't really go into or it hasn't gone into that much yet um that she's she's escaped and she's escaped into art and particularly she's escaped into the art or and the and the life of um the bright young things from the 20s the yeah. 1920s so she's really into Stephen Tennant and, and all that kind of thing. And then she finds out that within that set, there was another young black person called Hermia Druitt. And she's never heard that there was like this young black modernist artist before. So she she wants to know everything about 
this this artist and 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 um, uh, and her life stories and she and she and she goes off into these sort of she calls it transfictions which is where she sort of goes into this place where she daydreams this the life of Hermia Druitt and 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 what happens to her and all that kind of thing and it's it's a book about as well as a book about being about art and how art can help you find your identity it's also about how fandom can help you find your identity as well, like which I really recognise in the way that I love, you know, the Beatles or Bowie or something like that, and how they can help you find out the self that you want to create and all that kind of thing. And she ends up going off to this horrible um, artistic residency where it's all about this horrible artistic theorist that just that is all about the mind and and it's very austere and 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 very anti-material and she doesn't get along with that at all because she really venerates the whole um notions of like of decadence and beauty and 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 hedonism and um and idleness as well um which which um the sort of the young the, the the bright young things represent and so and it really like explores that really well as well it's like you know we venerate those people that have those decadent idle lives from that area they, they, they're they're from aristocratic background and yet for for a working class black queer person to be able to to themselves have that kind of lifestyle you know most people frown upon working class idleness where most people frown upon you know black decadence or and, and all that kind of thing so it explores that really really well and and it's just it's a really rich heady book with loads of ideas and it's it's i'm really 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 enjoying it <laughs> sounds like it and you're you close to the end um again I'm re- I'm I'm listening to it rather than reading yeah. it. So um I've got I think I've got about three hours left. Um so she's just met this um this friend, she's just made a friend this in this place um who is who is like her and who knows about Hermia Druitt and so they're they're just sort of heading off into their into their investigation. Hermia Druitt doesn't actually exist. So this is the kind of weird thing as well is that it plays with fact and fiction because there's real people in it, uh, real historical figures in it as well as these imagined ones. So and somebody that doesn't quite know a lot about the, the bright young things. I don't know who's real and who isn't. So I'm going to do a lot of investigating after I've finished it. <laughs> well, my uh, sixth book is The Strange Book of Jacob Boyce by Tom Gillespie, um, which, uh, yay, well, I mean, this this came out, the, the blue, I just, um, Tom was kind enough to send me a copy to read and I was absolutely blown away. I still am. I still think, wow. Um, so you've got this character of Jacob Boyce, Dr. Jacob Boyce, who works up at the University of Glasgow and uh, his wife goes missing and uh, the, the police kind of uh, just say, well, there's been a marital dispute and don't bother. In the meantime, he is going to, um, I don't think it's named as the Kelvin Grove Art Gallery, but it's the Kelvin Grove Art Gallery. <laughs> he sit and watch this painting uh, day upon day. He's obsessed with it. He uh, is t- making constant notes in his notebook. Um, he is t- 
trying to spot changes where there are changes happening in it. Um, it's a really odd premise and it's a really gripping premise and it combines kind of love of art and maths and philosophy and again all the good stuff um, <laughs> maybe not maths <laughs> yeah, but the way to be honest the way that jacob does it you know the certain people can write about these subjects and it just yeah. takes on something you know that kind of beautiful mind thing you go oh there's something going on here that i do not understand but anyway, the, 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 it takes him to Spain to kind of follow up on the other paintings uh, where he meets, and you start to think, again, the supernatural, supernatural versus the psychological. It's definitely got its kind of roots in things like um, Justified Sinner and uh, some James Robertson books and things like that. Um, yeah, it's, it's trips to Barcelona and Madrid, and increasingly you start to think, what's he... he What's he imagining? What's real? What the hell has happened to his wife? Let's think about that. Um, it's a real mystery. It's a thriller, but it's one of the finest and most artistic. You know, I mean, that's the word I would use for it that I've come across in a long time. It's a really excellent read. It's um, The Strange Book of Jacob Boyce by Tom Gillespie, and it's out with Vine Leaves Press. No, as you, as you saw there, I do have a copy and it is, it is on my to-be-read pile and it's, it's one that, uh, again, when it, when it released, that um, I was like, right, I'll, I'll get to that at some point. on the cover examines grief and guilt through the twin prisms of art and obsession and you're never entirely sure who to trust and what to believe. And I said that, so, you know, that's... Um, <laughs> well, it must be true. It must, must be true. <laughs> Vicky, well, uh, I'm going to make an editorial decision and we're okay. going to put this podcast into two parts. So okay. I'm going to say that this is the end of part one of our best books of 2020. And we'll both, Vicky and I will both be back with you soon for part two. Cheers. Mm-hmm.